Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Hey guys, Rosie here. I just want to say I am so grateful that you're listening. We are just getting a massive amount of response on this podcast, and I am so grateful that you're a part of this radically loved community, that you're enjoying the content and that you're enjoying all the guests and that you're still here and you're still working on yourself and your journey and your path. And I pray that you've received some tools listening to the guests or listening to any of my ideas or topics on meditation or yoga and how these tools can help you create a life of purpose to continue to help us give you the best content you can subscribe to this podcast and most of the time you can just do it from your phone from itunes click subscribe and write a review this really helps us continue this path and this journey and we love doing it so much and again i'm so grateful that you're here let us know what you thought thanks for listening I love them and I I love any woman who is uh, willing to stand in their power and do incredible things. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, I'm going to geek out because your work has been super influential in my life and I've learned so much from uh, everything that you teach and, and programs that you've done and I am so honored and grateful to have you as a guest on this podcast and just to have uh, a little bit of your time. So thank you for that. I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So uh, for the people listening uh, that are just tuning in and um, have heard your name for the first time, uh, as, as brief or, or as long as you want to be, tell, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. Okay. Well, since I was very young, like early childhood, I have felt a pain in my chest, like a stabbing pain in my chest, <laughs> every time I encounter the ways that women's voices and ideas and perspectives are still missing from the world. And so uh, that has manifested in a lot of different projects over different, you know, periods and and phases of my life, but over the past decade has focused uh, around working with women around the internal ways that we play small, don't trust ourselves, don't bring our ideas into the world, don't do the work that we're capable of. So that's a big part of the thread of my work and, and, Part of I'm sure what we'll be talking about today and then the other side of my work um, isn't so much about the domain of women's issues specifically but um, spirituality and 
doing the work of interchange, whether that's shifting from fear into love or surrendering our egos, um, asking for help from a source greater than ourselves. Um, and I am a passionate believer that there's always so much freedom and joy and um, expansion available to us when we turn to spiritual practice again and again throughout the day. Um, so those are kind of two big threads of my work. Um, and and I'll pause there for the moment. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's and that's a, a really great, those are two really great threads that we can definitely uh, get into. And, and, you know, this is such a huge topic for us right now, just, you know, women and really stepping into their power and, and tapping into that internal wisdom. Because I feel for so long we've been sort of, you know, passed off as as passive or we're not strong enough or we're too weak and you know there's this conditioning that has happened with our society uh from early on that I feel like has kind of bled into to a little bit of that how why do you think that this has impacted us so much just as women and and why we feel the need to to make ourselves not shine as bright as we're capable of. Yeah. Well, you know, I started to really notice this first just in my own coaching practice. Um, I had started a coaching practice knowing I wanted to work with people around personal growth and um, helping them create the lives and careers they wanted. And from the very first months of coaching people, I started to see again and again the same thing, which was, a woman would come into my office, she would be really brilliant and inspiring to me, like I would get so inspired listening to her ideas for her field or her dreams for what she wanted to create in her career. Um, I was always so moved by how ethical and conscientious of a person you know, she was. And I was like, let's go because you should be in charge. And I, you know, it's like, I know who's in charge of the companies, you know, in my orbit. I know who's in charge of our government. Like, yeah. <laughs> people like you should be in charge, not those people. So let's do this. And I was like, ra- raring to go and so moved and inspired always by those clients. And yeah. then I would always start to hear the same things. But I'm not ready yet. But if that was a good idea, someone else wouldn't have done it already wouldn't they have done it you know what oh don't I need a PhD in that before I can do anything and all of this tentativeness and and lack of self-trust and and I was really attuned to that not because I was you know in any way um, able to judge that but rather because I was really grappling with the same thing myself I had just finished graduate school was early in my own career and had every reason to feel confident like had done well in school had always gotten a lot of you know positive reinforcement and yet I felt the opposite I felt completely frozen with fear and self-doubting and so um, I started to really make that the focus of my coaching practice and um, and at the same time, I had started blogging. This is like back in 2008, nine, and um, I have always loved to write. And a friend of mine said, you know, there's this thing called blogging. You should start a blog. And I was like, I don't really know what that is, but let me, <laughs> let me look it up. So 
that seems good because I could just sort of write and publish and, you know, not get stuck in my own head. I could just like write something short and publish it that day. So I liked that and I started blogging and slowly an audience was growing. And, um, and as it grew, I, I wanted to learn more about my readers and what they were grappling with. And so um, about a couple years into blogging, I sent out a survey to my readers and I asked them, what's the biggest challenge in your life? Like wanting to know more, you know, what could I be of service around? What what should I be writing about? Yeah. And it was a multiple choice question with all these options. Like I'm struggling with relationship issues. I'm struggling with, you know, health issues, financial constraints, lots of options. And then I looked at that list and I thought, you know, there's nothing on here that really gets at this phenomenon that I'm seeing in my coaching practice. And so I just added, kind of on a whim, I added to the list, I'm playing small mm-hmm. as something that people could check off as their biggest challenge. And when the results came back, that was what the most people had said was the biggest challenge they felt they were grappling with in their life, was that they were playing small. Uh, and that took my breath away. Like, yeah. what? You know, like, we're all walking around. And then, of course, from a spiritual perspective, of course we're all walking around with a sinking sense that we're playing small because we are so much more than our culture allows or encourages or celebrates in terms of the light we can bring, in terms of the compassion we feel, in terms of the gifts we have. So um, so I started working with this idea of playing small like and calling, calling this set of beliefs and behaviors playing small and looking at what would help, what really did help my coaching clients play bigger. So to go back to your question, um, you know, I, I, I think that's, that that term playing small can, um, can be very evocative for us, but it can also make us kind of blame ourselves, like, mm. well, I'm just playing small. And so the yeah. piece you're talking about, the historical piece is so important that we need to understand for women especially we are the inheritors of a few thousand years of being given the message that we are um, objects that we don't deserve political rights that we don't deserve financial autonomy that we don't deserve legal protection um, that we are possessions of others, like it, it's it's quite dark when you really look at what is the historical legacy, the messages that have been transmitted to us, and that only started to change like a second ago, right? Like a generation. Yeah, ago. exactly. And so there's a lot of internal unlearning to yeah. do, and I think the the wonderful part about being in a woman in our time is you can really see like you are here in the transitional moment when you can consciously say, I can feel this legacy in myself and I am going to work through the pain of it. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to slowly steep myself in a new set of beliefs and ways of being um, to change the trajectory for the future. Yeah, and I think that, you know, part of of, uh, why your book was so uh, effective for me was because it really helped excavate what those things were for me. And I, and I think for a lot of women and, and people, it's not just limited to, to women. I think that a lot of men 
also have similar uh, similar obstacles. My favorite thing that you addressed right at the beginning was the inner critic. When I read that, I I was so in shock with how how much my my inner critic was stopping me from doing anything. I mean, it's just as simply as publishing a blog. It was it was just mm-hmm. like overtaking everything I was doing. And and when I was reading that, and I was like, wow, like that. I never realized that that was really what was hindering uh, the work that I needed to do. Yeah. And what would your inner critic say if, for example, you were considering where? Oh, it it would say uh, somebody else has already written about that. You know, what makes you Mm -hmm. so special that you feel that you can uh, make a difference? You know, ooh, that's intense. Like, Really, really thinking about it in terms of why are you going to do something that somebody's already done, you mm. know? And, and it's like, where is that coming from? Yeah. And, and is this good enough? And, and I would go back and edit and re-edit and re-record. And it just, it just got to this place where it was, it was creating like this, this downward spiral of, oh, you know, like, I'm not, you know, cert, I'm not a, it's the the whole, what you were talking about. I'm not a PhD. I'm not this. I'm just, you know, like a, a bachelor's in business yoga teacher that, you know, is like trying to teach, uh, you know, yoga and meditation and wisdom and how to apply it to your life. I didn't think that it was that important, you know, like I thought it was important, but I felt like there was so many other people that were already doing it and doing it well, why would, why would I do it as well? You know? Yeah. 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 There's so much in there to unpack and talk about. I I absolutely believe that we all need what I think of as an inner critic 101 training. Like it is shocking that, you know, we take the time to learn how to cook a simple meal or how to balance our checkbook, right? Or like how to clean out the humidifier, right? If you're a mom of young kids, like like there's a lot we learn to do that we get our a basic 101 education in, mm-hmm. but something so fundamental as what is this voice of self-doubt? Why does it show up? And what the heck should we all do about it? Nobody talks about that and we don't learn it. And um, we're lucky if we get exposed to any kind of information about it at some point in our adult lives. But, like, we need this when we're 12, you know? Yeah. Start getting through adolescence and then adult life. And so, yes, in in the Playing Big book and in the courses, we always start with the inner critic because I've, I've also learned you have to address it first or you kind of can't really tackle any other topic. Like, you can go you can go to an awesome entrepreneurship training and you can learn a lot of information but if your inner critic is stopping you from applying it it doesn't matter that you went to that training right yeah. so so we address it first and a big hallmark of you know my approach to the inner critic is that we're not trying to eliminate it or get rid of it we recognize it as something that's going to be with us if we're taking risks and we're on our edge. And so it's really about developing a mindfulness practice of 
getting to know what is the inner critic voice in you. There's a lot of clues that can help you recognize it more easily. How does it show up for you? And then learning some practices you can use in the moment so that it doesn't um, it doesn't run the show. What are some some ways that you can identify your inner critic? And what like if you had to give somebody right now, like you have one minute to give them just a little like tool that they could use to make the inner critic relax for a second. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so let's take both of those. So first, identifying it. Because as you're saying, like, you didn't realize. Yeah. It becomes the water that we swim in. And it also can be easily mistaken for realistic thinking, right? And in our culture, don't we all? We all want to be realistic. We all want to be rational. (laughs) You know, we don't want to have our head in the clouds. So sometimes we don't realize that's what we're hearing. Um, So a couple things to look for. Um, One... Um, the inner critic voice will always um, kind of, well, it, it, there's sort of two paths. So sometimes your inner critic will show up as super mean and just criticizing you harshly and in, in an abusive way, and it's kind of a little bit easier to recognize. A lot of times the inner critic will talk to you as if it's on your side, as if it's trying to protect you from harm. Um, so it might say, you know, um, you know, yeah, sure, Rosie, that's a great idea for a blog post, but, you know, I don't think you should waste your time writing blog posts until you redesign your whole website, because (laughs) until your website looks professional, like, the blog post won't really get, you know, or that would be a great topic to write about, you know, next year at the holidays. So there's a lot of excuse making and um, kind of sounding like it's on your own side. The other way you can really tell the inner critic versus realistic thinking is that the inner critic tends to be very repetitive and has like a looping quality where the the same thought of self-doubt or fear will go around and around and around and again without any effort at looking for a solution. So whereas the, the realistic thinking might say, you know, I don't know how to like get attention for these blog posts. Maybe we could go learn about that. Maybe we could go ask so-and-so. Maybe we'll run a few experiments and see. And there's there's a curious quality to that and an experimental and even playful quality. That's what realistic thinking truly sounds like. The inner critic will just be like up in the loop of what if nobody likes it or nobody likes it again and again and again without looking for a solution. So those are a couple of the ways, and there's about 10 um, in the book, just Mm -hmm. ways you can kind of distinguish and start to notice the patterns of your inner critic. And then in terms of some tools, so the first one is to simply name and notice the inner critic when it comes up. So that instead of just listening to a thought and being identified with it, you say, oh, I'm hearing my inner critic right now. And then one of my next favorite things to do is to ask myself, okay, what is my safety instinct not like about this situation? So in the case of your blogs, and and the safety instinct is that part of us that is always um, trying to ensure your physical and emotional 
risk, uh, safety, freedom from risk and sort of comfort, like doesn't ever want to have an emotionally vulnerable or challenging moment. So what is your safety instinct not like about writing blogs? Well, a lot of things, you know, it doesn't want you to write them and, and not have them be well received. It doesn't want to get criticism. It doesn't want to hear crickets. It doesn't want to even go through the experience, even before you press publish, it doesn't want you to go through the experience of writing and feeling unsure of yourself or of not liking what you write or all that challenging stuff. So the safety instinct is going to say, uh, we got to find a way to get Rosie to not go down this path of blogging because it's not as, it's not as safe as sitting on the couch watching reality TV. That's sort of the standard, right? It's comparing everything to like, it's not as safe as that. It's not as like, uh, sort of stale and stayed and comfortable as that. Right. And so it's going to try and get you to not do it. And the way it will, it will try and um, prevent you from taking those emotional risks is through the strategy of the inner critic voice, which will then wound you and intimidate you back into your comfort zone. So I really like asking that question because it helps me see what the fear is underneath the inner critic voice. And then once I can see that, it kind of exposes the whole show of the inner critic and um, makes it much easier for me to make the more courageous choice that I really want to make. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Such great advice. And um, I'm going to have to look around for those hidden cameras because you're definitely watching me right now. Just somebody just tweeted the other day. They had like a snap, a screenshot from yeah. a page of the book, and they're like, "How is Tara in my head?" Always feels like really. Oh, that's so good. So you know that that's definitely, I think, a, a big part in in a lot of uh, men and women that that they can identify with, struggling with. I think that it those are those are really great tools to really begin to try and uh, come out of that. And, and again, uh, for the people listening, read this book because there's so much information and there's so many different ways. One of the other things that I really uh, I really loved uh, and, and actually kind of helped propel me forward was uh, the chapter on calling. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that I, I want to tie this into what we're talking about because for a long time, my inner critic was keeping me away from what my calling was. And, and just for, for the people listening, I'm going to say that a calling, what a calling is, I'll just refer it back to how you define it in the book. It's, it's a longing to address a particular need or problem in the world. And so for me, it was, uh, you know, I was working for uh, a, a person and people and I was doing a really great job, but I wasn't fulfilling that part of, of my heart that really needed to to uh, make an impact. I really wanted to work with people. I really wanted to teach. I, I really wanted to make a difference, especially uh, growing up in, in an environment where I grew up. I grew up in East L.A. during the L.A. riots, and I had a very chaotic upbringing, and I, I found yoga and meditation to be uh, a, a saving grace for me as, as a way to 
uh, and obviously like years of therapy and, um, you know, <laughs> like all, all the other stuff that goes into that. Right. But, but I really wanted to utilize that medium to help people, help people that have gone through the same thing that I've gone through, or just to be able to create a community of like-minded individuals where we can help lift each other up and not tear each other down. And so I felt that my calling was being blocked by my inner critic because again I felt like well I need to have a job that that where I work for somebody else because it's safe and I'm too afraid of going off on my own because I've never had a in my family anyway there was never a positive role model for entrepreneurship it was outside of of that dynamic where I was able to find mentors and you know Tori my my partner like he's an entrepreneur and I started I started to surround myself by people that were doing things and again it was safe for me to be around that energy but not to be in it myself does that make sense yeah and so and so like that was my inner critic and and the minute that I started to feel that that calling and more of that burning desire Tara that's when I was ready I, I I wanted to just do it and so I did and and I'm grateful that I did but it it took me a long time to finally be able to jump into that wholeheartedly and and to uh you know find what my my calling was and and have it be have it be okay to turn into a profession does that make sense absolutely absolutely yeah and I think more often than not we really do wrestle with our callings and I know for a long time I I personally felt sort of like I was supposed to you know know what I wanted to do and very naturally and easily follow the path to do that yeah and I think particularly with our callings um, that's not how it usually is like there's pain there there's tenderness there there's real there's always real vulnerability right like if you what we feel called to do the stakes are high because we really care and it would it would feel scary and painful and hurtful to most of us to you know to go for it and not have it work out or whatever so we we can avoid and be in fear for a long time but there's also something you know beautiful I think about about how we wrestle with our callings in that I feel a little bit like, well, what else? Like we get these long lifespans, you know, from a spiritual perspective, (laughs) we've got, we've got a lot of decades here. And I think if they're given to us, they are given to us because there's a lot of learning and growth that we can do throughout them. And one of the biggest arcs of that growth, I think, and of that, um, process of sort of human maturing is resisting your calling, resisting it, eventually the pain of that resistance being too great, surrendering to what your calling is, and then beginning the real work of now how do I find the path through which that can come to life in the world. So I don't think we have to have any regrets. Like the years that we spend wrestling with a calling or denying it or resisting it and then coming to terms with it, like that is a very rich part of the whole life journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, it's a very, very, very intense process. And I know that it it was definitely the, the case for me, 
Do you do you think this differs between men and women? I'm just curious. I think there are some differences uh, around for for women and men around this, and I actually think that this is one of the areas where women have some real um, kind of blessings via our our social roles that men don't have and what I mean by that is just that I, I in general I think it can be much easier for women to give themselves permission to do something that has some financial risk mm. because their identity is less culturally bound up in their ability to be financial providers yeah you know, the shadow side of that is that for a lot of women, the struggle is more about stepping into earning and stepping into financial empowerment and, you know, feeling like they have um, value and worth that can come back to them in financial terms. Um, but, you know, on, on the other side of that coin, when we do feel called, as many of us, the callings are not going to be the most lucrative or prestigious thing. That can be a much deeper, harder process for men to say, you know, I'm going to give up what I have been deeply, deeply conditioned in here is, you know, what what shows my worth and my ability to compete and my my lovability, you know, as a man. Yeah. Do you think that our calling has to be our profession? Not at all. Yeah. So. You know, I define calling, there's there's the definition you use, which is in the book, of a longing to meet a particular need in the world. Another way I um, sometimes define it is it's the assignment that we get to bring light or love into the world in a particular way. Yeah. Um, because we do receive it like an assignment often. Like we don't choose our callings, and they often are not what would be convenient for our egos. Yeah. <laughs> um, we receive the assignment. And so a calling can be something that is the thing you do to make money. It can be something you do a few hours a week. Um, I also think callings can be very short-lived. You can receive a calling to help that person in your neighborhood that's going through chemo. You can receive a calling to help a particular, um, you know, candidate to take on a major volunteer role in their in their political race. Yeah. Um, I see them as it's not the you have one right calling. It's actually like a very dynamic living system of always callings being um, kind of coming and tapping us on the shoulder. And we can be open to them or not. And we can trust what we feel a sense of calling around or we can talk ourselves right out of it. Oh, yeah, that's, it's so true because sometimes I, in my work anyway, I've, I've worked with people who have had those types of callings and maybe have felt that they have to stick with it because that's the decision they met, they made. And at one point in their life, that was maybe their calling, but perhaps now it's changed. So I, I love that, uh, the dynamism that you, yeah. you are, uh, addressing because I think it's so important. One, one thing too, that I, I'm just thinking about it as we're talking about it is this idea of, uh, of, uh, setting setting time goals or rushing you know this has been a, a big struggle again for for myself and I, and I know that a lot of uh, people that I work with too have have gone through this women in particular with trying to to hit certain goals and 
certain um, uh, benchmarks at a certain time or stage in their life. You know, earlier you and I, before we started recording, we were talking about, um, you know, having children and and how for some people it's it's one of those things where it's like I have to do it at a particular time, you know, for either health reasons or, or your personal career or, or whatever it is. And, and I want to know where that comes from because I've definitely felt that myself where I'm like rushing or I'm like, this has to happen by the end of this year, you know? And I feel like I put so much pressure on myself where if it doesn't happen, I get really sort of disappointed. And, and then I start to question the whole idea, right? Where it's like, oh, maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Maybe this is wrong. You know what I mean? Like, what, what uh, is Yeah. Well, I have a few thoughts on that. So okay. one is, I think one way that time horizons can be useful is when we can play around with them imaginatively to get ourselves to think differently. And what I mean by that is, let's say you were thinking, you know, um, originally you were thinking like, I, I want my, my business to be profitable and thriving at this level, mm-hmm. and I'm going to give myself, you know, three to five years to get it there, because that's kind of what I've heard from, you know, people I've studied with or whatever. Okay, but then what if you were to ask yourself, well, what would I need to do to get it to that place in one year? Like, as an imaginative, brainstorming, generative question, that can be super interesting because it's going to suddenly get you to see, like, wait a second, you know, maybe maybe I can skip those three steps. Maybe those aren't essential. Or, wow, if I really wanted to get there in one year, you know, I would get a lot bolder with my messages and my offerings right now. Or if I really wanted to get there in one year, I'd have to trust myself to like not wait, you know, till my abstract idea of, okay, I'm going to do a TEDx talk in three years. I would just need to go like call my friend who organizes the TEDx right now. And I think most of us are so much more ready than we give ourselves credit for, especially talented women that, you know, those kinds of questions playing around with time in that way, I think can help us think differently and, and act differently. Being attached to something happening in a particular year, you know, or thinking we can control that, um, I think comes more from our our desire to be in control and our ego. And mm-hmm. the an- analogy here I would use, um, and it's, you know, it's a useful analogy, but it's also like, I, I use this, you know, literally in my own life is, you know, I, I think that my weight, meaning the number on the scale... Mm-hmm is none of my business because I actually don't have any direct control over the number on the scale. But what I eat each day is my business, right? Because that's the part that I actually, and I don't even, I wouldn't even say I have direct control over that, right? Because lots of things happen there (laughs) that are not what I would want or whatever the craving. But, but I do have control to be like, you know, I know I, I, I know what my intention is around what I eat and what I don't eat, what that works and doesn't work for my body. I know the things I have to do in terms of self-care and stress management and sleep to be able to eat that way. Like, I can put together, you know, with help and prayer and, you know, community and all the supports in my life, I can be responsible for my conduct, but the outcome right, which would be like, you know, 
do I get the flu or not? What's the number on the scale? Whatever all those health outcomes are, I would say that's none of my business. I have to turn that part over. So I think the same thing is important with goals. Like you want your goals to be things that you have agency over, mm-hmm. which is usually not the outcome or the result. Mm. Right? So it's like it's the difference between, you know, my, my commitment is to blog once a week versus, you know, my commitment is to get this many readers for my blog. Right? Right. Um, yeah. That's what I would think about. That. Yeah, that sounds way more uh, efficient and positively effective than the other one, where it's like coming from a place of uh, constriction and uh, urgency. You know, so I think that that's a that's a good a good practice yeah. that I think that we can all benefit from from doing. What? In your own personal practice and in your own life, you're you're a mom of two kids, and you're an entrepreneur and you're professional. How how have you felt? What what has been the biggest sort of um, uh, helper for you to maintain the balance? Like, do you have a practice that you do? Do you are you constantly working with a mentor? Like, what has helped you kind of create? this this life uh, of balance well I think um, you know there's been a lot of different phases right? <laughs> you know like having one kid has been different than two you know my youngest is just one so I still feel very new in what it's like to have two and and that balance but I, I would say for me you know flexibility has been really really big like even this year of having, you know, a baby who's baby to one, like there's not going to be no other, you know, when I, when I was pregnant with my, um, like just about to give birth, I this huge belly. And for people listening, like you can picture I'm, I'm, you know, just under five feet tall. And I had this like huge second, you know, your second pregnancy, you're always bigger. So this huge baby. And I was at a friend's, um, daughter's birthday party and her grandmother was there, and I was just in one of those places where I was just like, I need to talk to the 90-year-old woman in the room, like, yeah. I need to soak up the wisdom, and yes. so she was telling me all kinds of things, but she just looked at me, and my three, and I had, you know, my head, almost, not even three, so two-and-a-half-year-old at the time, and she just said, next year is going to be the busiest and hardest year of your entire life, and she was just oh. really, <laughs> and I was just like, I am sure that is absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and so flexibility, actually, like the, the the quality of saying, I used to write in the morning, and I used to have a silent house in the morning, and I used to be alert <laughs> at 6 a.m., and, like, now I write when I can. And, um, you know, I am finding, like, what works. Like, I love to listen to podcasts now or audiobooks because – I have a lot of time when I I don't have the same amount of time that I could be opening up a book and reading it and being on the computer, but that works. Like, um, you know, I leave 10 minute voice memos for my friends now and they leave 10 minute voice memos for me because it's that much harder to catch each other. Like, but so the landscape of self care just keeps changing, um, and being flexible and looking for what will work in any given stage. I think has been really crucial for me. Mm. 
where I'm like, how are you so wise? I'm literally going to call you every day. You realize this now. <laughs> I'm like, this. <laughs> I'm like, Tara, this is happening. Help me. What part of my inner I, critic is, is telling me to not do this? <laughs> well, I, it's a pleasure to get to chat about this. Uh, well, so just, to, I want to respect your time. So I'm just going to, uh, ask you the last last few questions yeah. here and you know one of the one of the beauties of this forum and, and and the work that I've done and and the ability and privilege to be able to talk to women like you is is just such a huge blessing and I'm, and I'm always just so grateful and excited to be able to have these conversations I started the podcast radically loved to uh, just create a place for people to listen to different people's stories and their practices and uh, their their love for their art or whatever it is that they're bringing into this world and they're creating. And the idea is that we are radically loved by God or source or, you know, baby Krishna or baby Buddha. I always say that, you know, our, the higher power, you know, yeah. a, a force bigger than us is radically loving us enough to keep this this world this conduit together yeah um so the question uh there's two questions and the first one is how do you feel radically loved and the second is what do you radically love mm. well I, I love so much what you just said because um I think that like what you just said about the love that's that's holding things together you know, so often now, and especially here for those of us in the U.S. where mm -hmm. there are a lot of shootings and, you know, there are these eruptions yes. of violence and then we hear about them in the news and social media and people often have this reaction of like, things are going to hell in a handbasket and like, how could there be another one? And all the time, and I, I really feel, you know, as, as much as, you know, I, of course, like the, I'm heartbroken by each of those tragedies, I want us to remember how the vast majority of people on this planet are every day like taking care of the people around them and staying sane and I am shocked actually that with the level of um, economic disparity in our country with the level of um, the, the lack of safety net and the lack of support for you know any kind of like mental health or recovery from the traumas that people experience in their lives like given all of those things the fact that we are mostly all walking around like unharmed and things are generally peaceful to me that is like such an incredible um testament to the the love inside of each of us and the love that is constantly surrounding us. Um, so I feel, I feel radically loved um, because of how I see human beings showing up so, so heroically, like just in living their daily lives, taking care of each other, taking care of the sick parent, taking care of the kid, like showing up in their communities or their workplaces and trying to do good. Um, I definitely think that is like our everyday miracle. Um, and then what do I radically love? Um, a lot of things. Um, um, 
I I radically love. Well, I'll tell you like, and this is something that you know. Maybe I just my whole family just got over being sick over the holidays, and I oh. just had a bad virus. So yeah. every time I'm sick, I am like. I regain this appreciation for how incredible we feel in our sort of normal neutral state, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and having also had two pregnancies where I had long periods of nausea and morning sickness and you realize like just to have a center of gravity and the ability to balance and the ability to get up out of bed in the morning and feel good and feel good moving your body and the feeling of taking a breath, like, um, just the, the felt experience of being in this body um, is is really quite euphoric in ways that I think we kind of forget day to day. So I I radically love that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, those are so those are those are both really great radically loving things. Thank you so much. Yeah. And Rosie, I was thinking. I don't know if you might like to end this way, but. Um, I have these poems that a lot of yoga teachers like read in their classes, and I thought maybe we could read one. Oh, I would love that. That's a great way. So we should end that way, but before we do that, why don't we tell the listeners where they can reach you and how to contact you? Okay. Um, So the best place to reach me is taramore.com that's my website taramore.com and I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and um, and then the Playing Big Book is available on Amazon or really anywhere you like to get your books yes and for the people listening uh, if you click on the info if you're listening on iTunes all those links will be linked up right at your fingertips so you can just click the links and go and learn more uh i'm really excited please begin when you're ready okay okay let me see here i um i feel like i should lay down right now well yeah and it's yeah these it's interesting because the yoga community has really embraced these so um i know a lot of your listeners oh well this is a good one okay This is called The One Deep Inside Your Chest. Step back and watch your body being a body. Watch an arm move through space. Watch an ankle turn. Watch your body as it likes things or doesn't, as it gets scrapes and bruises, as the skin darkens and falls into folds. Step back to the perimeter of the theater and watch your body on the stage. Recede to that quiet knowing. For now, I am associated with this body, not inside it or one with it, just associated for a time. Casing, only casing. Be kind to the casing if you like. Put oils on it and nourish it and move it to keep it stronger for a time. Never become it. They are only suffering. Can you feel the one deep inside your chest who has existed forever, who has made a thousand journeys, 
who feels like a comet in the dark, the inner filament. I know no one ever told you. I know it wasn't the name you learned to write at school, but that one is you. That one is the real you. Thank you. Oh, that was beautiful. Tara Moore, everyone. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for hosting and for all the love that you are emanating in the world and for the lovely conversation. Thank you. And ditto. And I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Likewise. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.